First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Good morning, church, and welcome to those watching and joining us on our iCampus as well. If you have your Bible today, and I hope you do, do you turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Today is the last day in this Life on Mission series. Uh, We're going to start in just a moment by reading uh, the passage for today from God's Word. Uh, But before we do that, at at this point in the story, the uh, most important church meeting ever has just happened. We talked about that last week, the Jerusalem Council. At that council, it was just emphatically stated for all time, the wonderful truth that no one is saved by the things that they do. That we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Uh, That uh, decision of the council, that declaration was recorded in a letter. It was sent to the church at Antioch. And after helping to deliver that letter, Paul and uh, Barnabas stay for a time there in their home church at Antioch, uh, teaching the believers, helping to encourage them. Uh, But now Paul is uh, gearing back up again to go out on what we now call his second missionary journey. So let's pick up the story there. Acts 15, starting in verse 36. The Word of God says this, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches." Chapter 16, then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, After he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we have just sung those words, Let there be light. And we pray now, Father, that you would bring light to your word, that you would illuminate it, that you would enlighten our eyes, that you would help us to see your truth. Father, help us to hear what you would say to our hearts today. Father, may we uh, 
through the power of your Spirit. Father, be encouraged today and equipped today to live our life on mission for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, one thing that I am pretty sure every parent uh, in this room uh, understands is that uh, vacations are a whole lot different when you are a kid uh, versus when you are a parent. Uh, amen. I, I mean, I, I remember back to when, uh, you know, when I was a kid and uh, it was just so easy, right? I just had to get in the back of my parents' uh, Oldsmobile station wagon, right? Or whatever the car was that uh, your folks had. And uh, you didn't have to do anything, right? You just, you just had to remember to bring your Walkman, right? Does anybody remember Walkmans? You had to bring that, right? Bring your pillow, whatever. And you were just, you were just along for the ride, right? It, it was amazing. But now as parents, yeah, it's a little bit different. Right now, I mean, you're the one who has to plan everything. You're the one who has to make all the reservations. You're the one who has to make all the decisions. You're the one that has to drive. Uh, you're the one that has to unload and load and unload and load and unload and load like a bajillion times, right? And you come back so tired from that vacation that you need another one, right? A vacation from the vacation. And, and so what, what I've learned from that, and I'm pretty sure you've learned it true too, is that a trip is a whole lot easier when you're not the one in charge of it. Well, in in our study in the book of Acts, uh, we've been seeing together that God has called us to live our life on mission for him. Uh, Really, our lives, if you think about it, are like one long extended mission trip, right? That's what we're on. We're on a lifetime mission trip. It, It lasts as long as you live, and it isn't over until the Lord calls you home. And here's the thing that I want us to to see today, that when when you really grab a hold of this truth, it is a very freeing thing to understand. Again, our life is like a mission trip, but just like the title of the message today says, God is the one who's in charge of the mission trip. we're, We're not in charge of it. We're not the one that makes all the plans. We're not the one that calls the shots. He does. And, you know, when we forget that, and sometimes we do forget that, and we start to think that, uh, you know, we're in control of our lives, uh, God has a ways of using things like even global pandemics from time to time, right? Even to remind the most stubborn among us that we were never in as much control of our lives as we like to think that we are. But again, it is a very freeing thing, actually, to accept and understand that truth that God is in control. We don't have to worry. We don't have to stress, right? We just have to get our Walkman or maybe get our Bible better and just get in the back seat and let God take the wheel. The the passage today is is an interesting one. It's really a a transition between Paul's first missionary journey and his second one. But there's so much here for us to learn from. What I want us to see in these verses are three reasons why we should be thankful that God is the one who's in charge of the mission trip of our lives. Uh, Here's the first reason we should be thankful he's in charge because our God is a God who redeems. He redeems even our failures and is able to bring something good out of it. Verse 36 says, after some days, we don't know exactly how long, But the Apostle Paul decided it was time to leave the home base of Antioch to hit the road. And so he says to Barnabas there in verse 36, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And I love 
Paul's heart in that, that he cares about these brand new Christians that have come to faith in Christ and each of these cities that he and Barnabas went to and he wants to go back, he wants to check on them, he wants to see how they're doing because he's concerned for their spiritual growth. And no doubt, Paul's ministry partner, Barnabas, felt the same way. So certainly he was excited about uh, doing that and the prospect of going back and checking on these new believers. But Barnabas uh, wanted to bring along somebody with them that Paul did not want to bring. And that is what verse 37 and 38 says. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. If you remember from a few weeks ago, John Mark was a young man who uh, had set sail with Paul and Barnabas the first time when they went to the island of Cyprus and started their journey. But that's about as far as he made it. When they went to the next leg of their journey, uh, he uh, did not want to continue. Uh, he uh, aborted and bailed on that trip and went back home. Uh, and now some time has passed since then, of course. And no doubt uh, Barnabas, uh, or excuse me, John Mark was repentant about what had happened. I'm sure he had expressed that uh, to Barnabas and expressed his desire to want to rejoin uh, this missionary effort. And Barnabas, always the encourager, uh, was eager to give John Mark, a second chance. He saw some good qualities in him, believed that the Lord could still use him in spite of what he had done. But the Apostle Paul, on the other hand, saw things very differently. He insisted John Mark not come. Uh, he took more of a, uh, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me type of an approach. He, he probably just felt like, you know what, it's not wise for us to take him again. The work that God has called us to is too important. We can't risk that. Uh, he, what, what if he does it again? Uh, we need to take somebody with us on this next trip who is more dependable. And based on the evidence that Paul had to work with at that time, it's hard to argue with Paul about that conclusion. So the obvious question that people ask when they read this story is, who was right? right was Paul right? Was, was Barnabas right? Well, Luke, the author of Acts, uh, doesn't really say, does he? In fact, he writes this story in such a way that he doesn't really cast blame one way or the other. And perhaps we should take our cue from that and not try to cast blame either. I agree with the assessment that Kent Hughes gave. He said, quote, Our judgment goes with Paul, but our hearts go with Barnabas. In other words, we understand why Paul made the decision that he did. We see the wisdom in it, but yet our hearts go with Barnabas. We want to be the kind of people that Barnabas was, the kind of people that show grace to others. But what's really sad about all of this is that these two men of God were not able to work through this. That the disagreement was so strong about whether or not to take John Mark that Paul and Barnabas, who had meant so much to one another, who had already been through so much together, actually ended up parting company. The text says that Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. Paul uh, took this man named Silas that we'll talk more about in just a moment and went in the other direction. And to be honest, this story is somewhat hard 
to read, isn't it? I mean, you, but by this point in the story, you expect better from these two men. But I love how the Bible is so real. Uh, the, the Bible does not uh, sugarcoat anything. Uh, the heroes in the Bible are given to us authentically, warts and all. They, they weren't perfect people, and they're not held up to us as perfect people. They, they weren't angels. They were sinners. They were sinners changed and transformed by the grace of God, but they were sinners nonetheless. This certainly was not Paul and Barnabas's finest moment. And yet what's amazing to see is that even in spite of their failure, even in spite of this little spat that caused them to part company, God, who was in charge of the mission trip of their lives, was able to come in and use even this for the good of the kingdom. First off, the result of their parting was a doubling of the missionary effort, right? Instead of one missionary team being out there, there were now two. There was Barnabas and John Mark ministering in one place and uh, Paul and Silas ministering in another. More people were hearing the good news. Uh, more people were being saved. More people were being discipled. That's how God used all of this. But then even on the personal level, God was able to work in time and bring about healing and bring about restoration between these brothers. Uh, Paul would later write in his letter to the Corinthians and refer to Barnabas as his co-worker in the ministry, a partner in the Lord. They were no longer traveling together, but he still understood Barnabas's love for the Lord and how God had his hand upon his life. Uh, perhaps because of the time he spent with Barnabas, John Mark, that young man John Mark, became the man that Barnabas believed that he could be. Uh, he went on to help Peter in his ministry. Peter refers to him in his letter. He also was used of God to write the second book that we have in our New Testament, the gospel that we know by his name, the gospel of Mark. And by the end of his life, the apostle Paul came to realize that he had been wrong about Mark. In fact, in the very last chapter of the very last letter that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, he wrote these words. He said, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Friend, listen, when you look in the rearview mirror of your life, I don't know what sin you see there. I don't know what failure you see there. But never believe that because of what you see there that God is no longer able to use you. We have a God who is a redeeming God. And he is able to take even our failures and turn them around and use them in his grace for good. He didn't write John Mark off because of what he did. He didn't write Paul and Barnabas off because of what they did. He was able to use them all. And friend, he's able to use you and he's able to use me if we'll allow him to. If we'll allow him to reach down and by his grace pick us up again. Let's be thankful, church, that the God who's in charge of this mission trip is a redeeming God who's able to redeem even our failures. Let's also be thankful that he's a God uh, who brings us help that we never knew we needed. Brings us help we never knew we needed. For Paul, that help came in the form of three brand new uh, ministry teammates 
that God gave to him right after this parting of ways that happened with Barnabas. Uh, The first teammate that God gave Paul for this second journey was this man named Silas. Uh, We won't spend long talking about him because we're going to read his name quite a bit in the next uh, several chapters to come in Acts. But Silas was from the church at Jerusalem. He was one of the ones they chose to accompany the letter uh, from the council when it went to the church at Antioch. But then he stayed in Antioch and he uh, taught there. And Paul had a chance to watch the way that Silas ministered, the way that he cared and encouraged the believers there. And he knew uh, that he would be a great teammate for him in the ministry, but he didn't know the full extent of what a blessing Silas would end up being. Like Paul, Silas was a Roman citizen, uh, which uh, if you know the story of Acts, that proved to be helpful a time or two along the way. Uh, He also most likely spoke Greek. Uh, He was a prophet. Uh, He was used uh, to be the stenographer, the scribe for Paul, to write some of his letters that we have in our New Testaments. He would stand by Paul through thick and thin. In fact, before too long, we're going to be reading about Paul and Silas side by side, uh, sitting in a dark and dirty prison cell in Philippi, singing praises and hymns to God at midnight. Silas was that first helper that the Lord gave Paul. The third helper, we're going to come back to the second one in just a minute, but the third helper that God gave Paul, you can almost miss because he isn't actually named. But if you look at the last verse that we read, verse 10 of chapter 16, you'll notice that the narrator changes from using the third person to using the first person. All this time he's been saying they did this and they did that and they did this, but suddenly in verse 10 of chapter 16, he says, we... Uh, we went to Macedonia. And most people believe, as I do as well, that it's at this point that Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, joined Paul's missionary team. That's why he says we, because he was there for this next uh, bit, uh, this next section. And Luke, no doubt, helped the Apostle Paul in a number of ways, not the least of which was that he was his own personal physician. And again, if you've read much of the story of Acts, you know that Paul had a propensity to need a physician from time to time with some of the trouble that he found himself in. And so having a doctor on board was a great plus. So God gave him Silas. God gave him Dr. Luke. But in chapter 16, God gave Paul another helper, a young man who was in his early 20s or perhaps even a teenager when this took place, who would become like a son to the Apostle Paul. After Paul was done visiting the churches in Syria and Cilicia, he started visiting the churches that he and Barnabas had planted on their first missionary journey, but he went in reverse order. So the cities that he came to first this time uh, were the cities that he went to last, last time. And so these cities he came to were Lystra and Derbe. Uh, You might remember that Lystra is where Paul was stoned and left for dead outside of the city. But it was in that city of Lystra that many came to faith, including, as it says in verse 1, a young disciple named Timothy. And we know from one of the letters that Paul would later write to Timothy that he was raised in a godly household, uh, that his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois had taught him the Old Testament scriptures from the time that he was a young child. And so this was a family that was prepared to hear the message of the Savior that God had promised and that God had sent. 
And when Paul came to Lystra the first time, uh, most believe, as I do as well, that uh, Timothy and likely his mother and grandmother put their faith in the Lord Jesus at that time. And uh, presumably, Timothy has grown tremendously in his faith since that time that he trusted Christ. You can see a hint of that in verse 2, where it says, He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So even other believers, other uh, older believers could see how much this young man, Timothy, loved the Lord. Uh, Paul could see it too. And that's why despite his youth, Paul ends up inviting Timothy to join him on his missionary team. It speaks well of Timothy, by the way, that he was likely a witness the day that Paul was nearly stoned to death. Many people would say he was likely one of the people in the circle of believers around Paul when they thought that he was dead and they saw God miraculously heal him. And yet Timothy, knowing that he was likely to face the same thing if he followed this man, was willing to follow the Lord's call and agreed to go with Paul on this mission. Timothy would end up traveling with Paul and sharing the good news of Jesus all over the known world. Later, Paul would appoint Timothy as the pastor at the church at Ephesus and write him two letters that we have in the New Testament. Paul would refer to Timothy as my son in the faith. He would say of Timothy, there is no one like him that I have who shares my heart in all things. How could the apostle Paul have possibly known that after his parting from Barnabas, which I'm sure broke his heart, How could he have known that God would be so good and so gracious to not only give him Silas, not only give him Luke, but to give him Timothy as well? And God knew the help that Paul needed, and he gave him that help just at the right time. Friend, I hope you know that God sees where you are right now in your life, that he knows the help that you need, and he knows when you need it. He knows the form that that help needs to come in and he will provide it. Now, sometimes he brings us help even when we didn't know that we needed the help. But he knows better than we do what help that we need and he provides it. You know, maybe you've been disconnected from the church for a period of time or a number of years and God has brought you here. Maybe that's part of the help that God is bringing into your life. He's bringing you into a place where you can hear the word of God where you can be around other brothers and sisters who can spur you on and encourage you in your walk with Christ. I don't don't know, but I know that whatever help you need, God, who is in charge of this mission trip, will always give us what is needed for the work that he's called us to do. The end of verse 3 tells how Paul took Timothy and had him circumcised right off the bat before he joined his missionary team. And we won't spend long on this, but, you know, some might kind of push back on that and say, now, you know, wait a minute, didn't we just talk last week? Uh, Didn't the Jerusalem council just declare uh, that you didn't need to be circumcised in order to be uh, saved, that all you needed was faith in Christ alone? Some of you may know that there was another young man named Titus that Paul adamantly refused to have circumcised, uh, and he was a Gentile. Uh, And you may know that in Galatians, Paul writes to Gentiles there and says for them not to be circumcised and said, if you do that, you're basically turning your back on Christ. Uh, You're now turning to the law. You're no longer trusting in Jesus alone to save you. And so knowing all of that, some people might accuse Paul here of being inconsistent. Why is he requiring Timothy to be circumcised when he didn't do that 
for Titus. Well, very quickly, let me just say the situation with Timothy is a bit different. Titus was a Gentile. Timothy, as it says in verse 1, was partly Jewish. His father was Greek, but his mother was Jewish. And according to Jewish law, the son of a Jewish woman was considered to be Jewish. Except for at this point, he had not been circumcised, maybe because his Greek father didn't allow him to be circumcised at eight days old. And so he would have been looked upon as actually an apostate Jew. He would have been seen by other Jews as someone who had turned his back on the Jewish faith and the Jewish tradition, which would have totally torpedoed his ability to be able to do ministry in any Jewish context. He wouldn't have been able to go into the synagogue. And remember Paul, that's always where he started. Every city he went to, went to the synagogue, to the Jew first. Well, he wouldn't have been able to do that. And so this was not about him being circumcised in order to be saved. That didn't save him. His faith in Jesus had already saved him. This was about him being able to be more effective in ministry. It reminds me of what Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians 9 about how he said, I want to be all things to all people that by all means I might save some. That's what Paul and Timothy were doing here. In verse 4, we read about how Paul's growing ministry team, again, was retracing his steps, going to all of these cities, these churches that had been planted, sharing with them uh, what the Jerusalem council had declared, sharing with them how free they were in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 5, Luke gives us another one of these summary statements that he gives us every so often in the book of Acts to update us on the progress of the church, how the church was growing, how every single day God was adding to the church those uh, who were being saved. As we come to verses 6 through 10, the last verses in our text for today, we see the third reason why we should be thankful that God is in charge of the mission trip of our lives. And that is because God guides us and he puts us, he places us in the place where we can have the greatest impact. Now with that said, the way that the Lord guided Paul and his team here might be a little bit different than what we would expect. Look look with me at verse 6. It says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. I know there's a lot of place names being thrown around in those three verses. So I think it'll help us to to look at a map together for a moment. And so this is a map of Paul's second missionary journey. If you look over on the far right in that region of Syria, that's where his home church of Antioch was. That's where he left from. And he first went to the north and then to the west. And he went into that green region of Galatia. That's where he was retracing his steps, all those churches that he and Barnabas had planted on their first journey. And then what they wanted to do is they wanted to continue going to the west across that uh, pink region of Asia in modern day Turkey. He probably wanted to go all the way over to the coast to that major city of Ephesus that he'd visit on his third journey. But it says in our text that when he tried to go to the west, the Holy Spirit said no. The Holy Spirit forbid him from going that way. Now, we don't know how the Spirit communicated that. It might have just been through an inward sense of the Spirit's leading. It might have been through uh, the word of a prophet. Uh, It might have been through circumstances. Some have even said maybe sickness, something that God used to prevent them. But they knew this is the Lord saying, you're not to go that way. 
And so since they couldn't go to the west, they decided we're going to go to the north. And so they uh, began to follow that red line there up to that region of Bithynia. That's where they wanted to go and preach the gospel in some of those areas. But once again, verse 7 says the Spirit of God put the brakes on and said, no, you're not going north either. And so at that point, they really had no other choice but to go uh, hang a left and to go west across that top part of Asia. They went all the way over to that uh, port city of Troas there that's on the eastern shore of the Aegean Sea. I I don't know when the last time is that uh, you got locked out of someplace, like your car, if that's ever happened to you. Uh, or uh, your home. I, I know a couple of years ago that happened to me. I, I was helping Megan uh, put our kids in the van and she was taking them to school that day. And just like she does every day when, when she was pulling away, she hit the button to close the garage door down. And uh, except for she didn't notice that after I helped her put the kids in the car, I went around the side of the house to get the, the garbage cans because it was trash day to take them down uh, to the street. And so I heard something going on that I shouldn't have heard. And that was the garage door coming down. And so I ran around the corner and yep, that was closing. So I start running down the driveway. I'm trying to flag her down, but to no avail, right? She is, I'm seeing taillights. She is heading down the street, did not see me. And so at that point, I did like anybody would do, right? When you get locked out, I start checking doors, right? And hoping maybe one of them's open. So I go to the side door of the garage, locked. I go around to the front door, hoping maybe, you know, one of the kids went out that way or something, but locked, right? Then I went through the gate, went around back, looked at the porch door, locked. Ended up having to go to a neighbor's house at like eight in the morning. But, you know, as I kind of think back to that, I think that's probably how Paul and Silas felt here, right? You know, they're running around, they're, they're, they're checking doors, but every door they check is locked, right? They try to go this way, nope, can't go that way. Try, try to go this way, nope, can't go that way either. And, and I'm sure it was a frustrating time for them of wondering, what is God doing? Why is he leading us on this circuitous route? Once they got to Troas, though, all of those divine no's were explained when they got a divine yes. A clear direction from God about where he wanted them to go. That came in the form of a vision that Paul received one night. A vision of a man from Macedonia speaking to Paul, pleading with Paul and saying, come over and help us. The next morning, Paul shared that vision with his missionary teammates. And as they discussed it, and I'm sure prayed about it, They felt sure that this was the Lord speaking and leading them to set sail for Macedonia to preach the gospel to those who lived there. And what's so huge about that, even though they did not divide the world up the same way that we divide the world up today, we can look back now and see how momentous that Macedonian call truly was. Because when they sailed across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia, the good news of Jesus was about to be preached for the very first time on the continent of Europe. After we take a break for a couple of weeks for Easter, we're going to pick up this story where we left off. And we're going to see how Paul and his team end up having the opportunity to preach the gospel in some of the major uh, cities of the day, to preach the gospel in Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth and even the great city of Athens. But the thing to remember is that absolutely none of those cities were on their original travel itinerary, right? Paul didn't plan to go to any of those places, but Paul was not in charge of this mission trip, was he? God was. 
And he led his servants step by step by step. He led them by blocking them here and blocking them there and leading them here and then calling them exactly where he wanted them in order for them to preach the good news of Jesus for the first time in Europe. And of course, we know that many centuries later, it would be from the continent of Europe that the gospel would come to where we live right now. We have to remember that God is in control of our lives as well. He has a plan for when and how he wants to use us just as surely as he had a plan for when and how he was going to use them. But if we're going to follow his plan, the first thing that we have to do is we have to be willing to relinquish control. We have to be willing to get in the backseat, to let him drive We can't lean on our own understanding. The word says that we need to acknowledge him in all of our ways and he will make our paths straight. But you know, whenever whenever you say that, whenever you speak about, you know, seeking God's will for your life or allowing God to guide you or direct you, a lot of times people will ask a pretty logical question, which is, you know, how do I do that? You know, how do I let God guide me? How how do I seek his guidance? And uh, really, there's some help for us, I believe, in this story about that question. And so I just want to share very quickly a few practical principles about seeking God's guidance. First off, we need to understand God wants to guide us, but we must be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. God wants to guide us. He's not trying to hide his will for us. His his will is not like an Easter egg, right? That that he's he's hiding in the woods somewhere, right? He wants to guide us. He wants to lead us, but we have to be sensitive. We have to be listening for his voice. You know, Paul and his team modeled that for us here. They, They were not insistent upon plowing ahead with the plan that they originally had. When the the Spirit of God redirected them, they were willing to take that redirection. They were willing to to drop their plans and to follow God's plans. And we have to be willing to do the same. But then along with that, we have to remember number two. God's guidance today will never contradict the word that God has given us for every day. Let me say that again. God's guidance today will never contradict the word that he has given us For every day, I cannot stress enough how important this principle is. Sometimes I'll I'll hear a believer say something like this. They'll say, well, you know, uh, God has just given me a piece about doing X. And yet X may be something that is just patently unbiblical. Right? So somebody might say something, well, you know, God has given me a piece about, uh, you know, divorcing my husband. And, uh, and I'll say, well, okay, I'm sad to hear that. Do you have a, a biblical grounds for doing that, a biblical reason for doing that? Well, no, not really, but, but God has just given me a piece about that, and I just know this is what he wants me to do. Well, friend, I, I don't know where that peace came from, but I know that it didn't come from God. But because God is not going to give you a piece about something that he has already uh, said something different about in his word. Uh, again, God will, will not give you a word today. That contradicts the word that he has already given us for every day in his word of God, the Bible. Another thing we see in this story about how God guides us is this. One of the ways he guides us is by opening and closing doors in our life. Clearly, that is how he was guiding Paul and his team. Again, if you put yourself in their shoes, this would have been probably a frustrating season. They were not riding in a car, right? They were walking hundreds of miles in a certain direction only to see a stop sign there from the Lord. 
and to have to turn and go a different direction. They probably felt like the Israelites in the wilderness. You know, we're just wandering around. Uh, Why is God doing this? Why does God keep putting on the brakes? And and it wasn't until later that they were able to look back and realize the beauty and the wisdom of what God was doing. And sometimes it's like that for us too. Sometimes it's frustrating, you know, when a door closes and you don't know why, especially when it's something that maybe you've been praying about for a long time. And you've been praying, you've been asking your friends to pray that God would open this particular door for you. And then at the last minute, it just closes in your face. It's going to be so difficult and so hard to understand why that's happening. But this is where we need to trust the Lord, that if he's closing a certain door, that, that he's going to open another one. And yet with that said, let me say this as well. While God does speak through our circumstances, while he does speak through the opening and closing of doors, as believers, we don't just blindly follow our circumstances, right? Every time a door opens, it doesn't mean God wants you to walk through it. That's why we need to stay in prayer. That's why we need to stay in his word. And that's why also, number four, part of seeking God's guidance is seeking godly counsel godly counsel. That's what Paul does here, right? The next morning after he has his vision, he shares that with the rest of his team. The text says they talk about it and they concluded what the Lord was leading them to do. He sought his team's counsel about that. It says in Proverbs that there is safety in the multitude of counselors. And so we are wise to seek counsel, but listen, it can't just be any counsel. You know, pretty much everybody will give you a word of counsel, right? Have you, have you noticed that? Everybody has a word of counsel ready for you. They have some advice they would love to share with you if you would just ask. But if you look for counsel from an ungodly source, the counsel that you receive is likely to be what? Ungodly. It's likely to be counsel that will actually lead you in the exact opposite direction from where God wants you to go. That's why it's so important that we seek out godly counsel. That we seek out counsel from people who know and love the word of God and who are able to help you to sort through the things that you're thinking and feeling so that you can hear from the Lord and you can make a decision that will honor the Lord. And then lastly, number five, we must trust that God knows where he's leading us even if we don't. Sometimes we feel just like Paul and his team did. We just feel like we're wandering. Maybe you feel that way right now. You're just kind of wandering. You don't know where the Lord's leading you. Maybe you feel right now like you're just waiting. You're, you're, you're in a waiting place. Nothing is really happening in your life. It, it can be frustrating when you don't understand what God is up to. But this is, again, where we need to trust that the Lord does have a plan. We need to trust that God is always working. He very well might be working in you before he's going to work through you in a certain way. You know, while we're uh, playing checkers, God is always playing chess. And he's about a million moves ahead of us. We can wait on him because of that. We can trust in him. We can be at peace because his timing is perfect. Because his plan is infinitely better than the plan we would have chosen. He's in charge of this mission trip. And that is a very, very good thing indeed. You know, again, this is the last message in this Life on Mission series, something we've been uh, really talking about every week in this series just about, is that it wasn't just Paul and, and, and Barnabas and Silas and John Mark that had a mission from the Lord. Every one of us, every one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ has been given a mission. We have all been sent. Uh, up here at the tables at the front, 
there are some bands that are placed there that look like this one here. And uh, when you see them in a moment, you'll see they have a Bible verse on each of these bands. And the Bible verse is, is a verse we've quoted many times. It's a key verse for us here at First Baptist in Melbourne. It's just a simple statement from the Lord Jesus. Jesus said to them, John 20, 21, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so on this band, you'll see that verse has been placed. But then on the other side of that band, you'll just see two words printed there. The two words, on mission, and dot, dot, dot. Now, the dot, dot, dot part of that is the part for you and me to fill in. Where has God called you to be on mission? Likely, he's called you to be on mission in a lot of places. certainly called you to be on mission in your home, with your family. He's called you to be on mission in your neighborhood your workplace, at your school, maybe to another location that he's calling you to go to. But all of us have been called to live life on mission. If you, if you believe that, if, if you know deep down, God has called me as a Christ follower to live my life on mission, then in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something. A little, little different than our normal invitation, but I'm going to ask every one of you that believes that, that God has called you to live on mission, to come and to take one of these bands but here's what I want that to signify. More than just getting a band and having something to wear on our wrist. Here's what I want, even just the taking of this band to represent. Uh, we, we, we talk a lot about living on mission. In fact, something we say at the end of just about every service, we end with these words, right? Have a great week on mission. How's it in? With King Jesus. Well, you know, we could spend the next several hours talking about what that means to live on mission with King Jesus. But let me just give you the 30-second version, all right? When we say that, here's, here's at least part of what that means. I'm calling this the my life on mission commitment. First off, it means this, because Jesus has sent me, I commit to live my life on mission. I will not coast through life. God has made me, and he has put me here on this planet for a purpose. Secondly, I won't bury my gifts and abilities. I will invest them fully for God's glory. Number three, I will live for what matters most. Let, let others live for what they're going to live for. Let, let those in the world pursue every other thing that they want to pursue. But I'm going to live for the two things that the Lord Jesus said mattered most. Loving God and loving other people. That's what my life is going to be about. Number four, I know that billions are lost and dying without Christ. So I will do what I can with the days that God gives me to point as many people as possible to Jesus. And then lastly, no matter what God calls me to do, I've already said yes. My yes is on the table. I will go where God sends me. I will do what he tells me. And I'll stay until he moves me. Church, I want to ask you to stand. And if you believe that, if you hear those words and they resonate with your heart, and that's the commitment that you want to take and make today, I want to ask you to come. When you come to the table, you'll see there's red bands, there's black bands, there's big bands, there's small bands. Take the one you like the best. But most importantly, come with, with a heart that says, God, this is the commitment that I want to make. With the power you give me, with the grace that you supply me with, I want to live every day that you give me on this planet on mission. 
After we've sung together, after you've had a chance to come and take these bands, I just want to pray for us uh, together. Maybe as we're singing, you need to come and, and pray with one of our pastors that'll be here at the front as well. Maybe to even receive Jesus as your Savior for the very first time. You can come and do that as well. So let's sing together. You come as God leads you.